This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Once again, it's great to be back here doing the show, Back to be back here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. I know it's been a while, Marcus, since we have actually been together to actually do a show together. Uh, the audience has been for a while listening to uh, repeats of the Marcus and the Waters and Harvey Show. And um, but we continue to get great feedback from the audience about those shows because um, this is show number 96. We have, I think, Marcus covered a lot of ground in those previous shows. So I'm not surprised that they are continuing to resonate with many of our listeners. Yeah, it, it really is staggering just to, for, you know, for me to think about uh, how much ground the show has covered over the past several years. Um, and I'm also encouraged to know that uh, the shows that we have produced. I think we're approaching the 100 mark, um, continue to engage people um, and continue to be sources of, of stimulating civil conversations. So I'm looking forward to, to what's to come. Yeah, I am too, Marcus, and I am finding from my new vantage point uh, as the Deputy Secretary for the Department of Natural and Cultural Resources overseeing archives and history, I'm finding that there are people across the state of North Carolina who are now discovering the Waters and Harvey show and are listening to the show, and it's giving people ideas about some things that they wanted to discuss in their own community, some things even within the Department of Natural and Cultural Resources, some things that they want to do. I mean, one of the things that came out the most recent uh, budget for the state of North Carolina is uh, funding to actually do something related to, I think, uh, to to some of the work that Dan Pierce has done around the whole issue of moon, moonshining and how the NASCAR kind of racing industry grew out of that. You know that Dan has talked to us a lot about that uh, on shows that we've had him on. And now there's going to be some interesting work going on around a maybe a historic trail that looks at the relationship between the state of North Carolina and especially uh, racing um, over the course of the next few years. And some of the discussions that we've had with Dr. Pierce, with Dan Pierce on the show, has actually fed some of the interest around this work. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's good to know because that, that's essentially what the show is designed to do, right? Right, um, it is. It's, it's not only about stimulating conversation and kind of educating, uh, uh, helping to educate um, <clears throat> uh, communities about uh, issues that are confronting um uh, them locally and also uh, the, the country at the state level, uh, but also helping to stimulate uh, and galvanize ideas at the local level. At the local level, um, around you know what can be done to address some of the issues that have come up on the show, right? Um, what can be done to um, to 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 learn more about local histories, mm -hmm. right? And um, I, my prediction is that you will you will see more of that as you continue to to visit these various um, sites across the state, um, and also um, engage further with people across the state. Right. Well, I'll tell you, Mark, because I I agree, and I'm very excited about the possibilities and and what this can mean, especially to the commitment to tell more stories, because that was at the heart of this show and why we created it especially to tell stories of traditionally underrepresented and marginalized groups. Uh, when we think about the larger narrative of the, our state's history and the larger narrative of American history. So 
we're seeing, you know, more stories begin to bubble to the surface. And, you know, everybody has a story. And I just find it interesting when we sit down and you talk to people and listen to what they have to say. I mean, I was really encouraged to do that by Dr. Franklin, John Ho Franklin, who we've mentioned a number of times on the number of times on the show. But it's amazing to hear so many interesting stories across the state. And one of the things I want to say here too, Marcus, is really, again, to say how much we appreciate our listeners and their engagement with the show. And they're continuing to um, send us messages to talk about things that they're hearing. I know both you and I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I something else that really, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that occurs to me is that, uh, um, you know, I, I, I think the show, um, the show, you know, to your point about, about story and the importance of story, you know, this has been a thread that, that has connected, uh, many of the shows that we've recorded, um, especially over the last, I would say year, year and a half or so. And, um, one of the things that I know that you probably are beginning to encounter as you, again, travel across the state engage different communities, um, learn about stories that maybe were even new to you, um, is that the stories is that is that the is that the, the stories that matter differ from one region to the next, right? <laughs> um, so what so you know what is considered an important story in one community or in one region, right, may not be considered important at all or even known about in another community, right? So right. Um, in other words, I, I, one issue you, I, I, I suspect you might bump up against is, you know, what does it mean to engage multiple communities that value different stories differently or, or in some cases, maybe even the same story differently, right? Mm -hmm. and, and at that point, there's a whole sort of political issue that, um, that, that has to be addressed. But yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we've not, that we, that the show has made clear is, um, the ways in which uh, communities identify with stories, right? So, right. So, so story becomes a kind of um, a kind of glue in many cases mm -hmm. um, uh, around which people construct identities, construct um, a sense of space, a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning, right? Um, and just you know, I, I'm. I, I, you know, I, there's a part of me that, that wishes I could accompany you on some of these, some of these, some of these trips just to, to see um, how different counties, different communities, and even different individuals um, value different stories. Right, right. And what that looks like, how, how different communities negotiate that. Well, you know, I'm all open for, you know, open to the idea of you uh, accompanying me across the state um, uh, in some, you know, on some of these trips that I'm, I'm having an opportunity to kind of go on. So that's something that you and I need to talk about. And, and in fact, one person who has had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to accompany me on uh, especially visits to some of the state's historic sites, North Carolina has 27 state historic sites. You know, that's something that you and I will probably take up in, in other conversations that we'll have in other shows that we will do, because some of these uh, the stories at these individual sites are very interesting. And 
And I find it interesting, Marcus, that some of the the uh, managers, the who the leaders who are leading these individual sites, have not really had the opportunity to kind of talk about that to a larger audience. And I think that that's a, a, an important thing that you and I, through the show, can actually take up. These are some yeah. interesting stories. Yeah. But one person who has had the opportunity to accompany me is Dr. Meredith Doster. Who, Marcus, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Meredith is with us today. She essentially is another co-host of the show because <laughs> she has been here so often. Meredith is helping to lead the William Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. I'm working with her. She is the co-director of the William Friday uh, Fellowship, the lead faculty member. And I've had the opportunity for almost two years now. We're getting close to the two-year point for the current class of fellows we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the fellowship, get some updates because we were periodically doing that. We're working in partnership. The show, well, Waters and Harvey show is working in partnership with the William Friday Fellowship. And so we wanted to take an occasion to kind of do updates. Meredith is going to be with us, but she's here now. And we want to just go ahead and bring her back in. Everybody's going to know her voice. Um, I always get great feedback, Marcus. I don't know if you do. Whenever Meredith is on the show, people are always excited to hear her voice. But um, Meredith is here. Meredith, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us today. How are you? It's great to be with you both. Uh, thank you for the invitation. It is always good to be in conversation. It is unfathomable to me that it is almost the end of 2021. I would be remiss not to just note the date. It is late December in late in 2021. And that feels momentous in all different kinds of ways. Uh, but I'm appreciating the way you all are um, just kind of tracing your own um, history of the show and your conversations with one another. Um, so many rich questions I'm already hearing around what does it mean, Marcus, you said, to engage multi multiple communities that value different stories differently. And we ask questions about that in the fellowship as well. How do you actually honor competing truth claims um, when they come from um, beloved humans uh, that yeah. you're trying to get to know? So I really appreciate just where the conversation is always already organically leading it's great to be with you <laughs> well thank you for being here Meredith you know you've hearing Marcus and I talk about you know uh, the diversity of stories across the state and I think Marcus has hit a very important point to talk about the regional differences are the regional variations that we can often hear in those stories and because you have been to a couple of the state historic sites with me and you've been able to see that as well. And mostly, you know, we've been in the eastern part of the state up to this point. Marcus, I think, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, on our show, the Waters and Harvey show, we have talked frequently to Kimberly Floyd, who is the site manager at Vance Birthplace. And uh, Kimberly and I are working even more closely together in that capacity. Here in Asheville, you know, we also have the Thomas Wolf Memorial, which is a part of the state historic site system. But Meredith, you and I have had a chance to go to two places. We've gone to Charlotte Hawkins Brown site, which is, which is in Sedalia, um, North Carolina, in Guilford County, right outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. And we also recently visited um, Somerset Place, which is in Cresswell, uh, North Carolina, out on the coast. Um, Meredith, I, before I ask you to just give you know, your perspective on these visits and the stories that we're hearing, Marcus, I just want to say, while there's variation in stories, there's one big common story that you hear across the state right now. Everybody is dealing with COVID, 
right? We're all <laughs> continuing to deal with COVID. Um, you know, Marcus and I are fully vaccinated, you know, yeah. glad to be here fully vaccinated. But this is one common story. But Meredith, you know, tell us your perspective on these visits to these state historic sites. Yeah, I appreciate the question. You know, I think so much in my role as a sort of curriculum designer and lead faculty about the kind of preparation that's required to encounter a, a place that is full of uh, many different kinds of stories. I think about what it takes to surface a place, which sometimes means getting quiet enough so that its silence can also speak. Um, and that sits with me when I think about inviting others to journey with me to a place that I don't know well, that is certainly part of a North Carolina history and North American history but not necessarily one in which I am deeply rooted or steeped. And so we did take the fellows and Darren, it was such a joy to to be there in community with you to the Charlotte Hawkins Brown Memorial site uh, at the Palmer Institute. And it was an intentional choice to, to be at a space that does uh, feature education and think intentionally around the, um, the segregated histories of the educational system in this country. Um, it was powerful to be there with you and with a former student of yours. I know that uh, you're eager to, to bring Liz into conversation at a future date. But I think when I think about um, sites of conscience or place that, places that have historic value, I think about what it means to identify places that are of value and what, what it means then to privilege certain places over others, even in the context of a two-year fellowship curriculum. What does it mean that we began at this educational institute? What might it mean that we, we could take fellows to a site um, that houses a plantation in a future seminar weekend? Mm -hmm. What kinds of places can we approach in community and what kind of stories can we get quiet enough to, to hear, um, both from the places themselves and then from one another? Um, so I think that's where I'd begin in thinking about um, that place. I know that our fellows, uh, we have 23 fellows journeying with us, and they all, they all had very different experiences of our time in Sedalia, which is uh, understandable because these are 23 individuals coming from across the state who are living different lives, coming from uh, different backgrounds, and their capacity also to um, to receive different stories in that space is shaped by where they're coming from, and that's true mm -hmm. of all of us. And I think that felt powerfully present uh, when we were together at in Sedalia. And I, I know that it will be present when we come back together again uh, in just a few short weeks in late January. Right, right. Yeah. You're right. And, and, and Marcus, before you jump in here, just a little background on the Charlotte Hawkins Brown site. But Charlotte Hawkins Brown, African-American woman who major, major uh, figure in North Carolina's history in the late 19th and early 20th century, um, founded the Palmer Institute, which educated a number of African-Americans across the state of North Carolina, not only African-Americans in this state, but also in other states as well. And so it's had a deep and rich history. And Meredith, I'll, I'll just say here, Marcus, before you jump back in here, that it's interesting the impact that space can have on us. And I know, Marcus, you've talked a lot about that, you know, how um, a place can actually impact you. And we saw that with some of the fellows because the Charlotte Hawkins Brown site, although, you know, right off of Highway 40, you see the sign for it. Many people have never been there. I don't think any of the fellows have been there. And, and Marcus, what I found really interesting about it makes you wonder about our education system sometimes that there were some 
fellows who are deeply people who are deeply committed to historical knowledge who had never heard of Charlotte Hawkins Brown or the Palmer Institute and were deeply troubled by the fact that they had not heard about this site before. But it was an interesting visit. But Marcus, let me let you jump in. Yeah, I I can certainly imagine. And I actually have sort of two questions. One, I want to kind of double back a little bit and pose a question to Darren before I I query Meredith, because I, I think I heard you mention, Darren, that the second site that you and Meredith visited together was Somerset Place in Creswell, mm-hmm. which I believe yes. was a plantation. Is that correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It so, was. so, but so, my question for you, Darren, first, um, and I, I know that you have you have a real perspective on this now in your new role, but I think about this this cat this category or this idea of a historic site, right? Mm-hmm. A historic site, and um, from my position, I'm wondering what is it that goes into establishing a particular place or space as a as a historic site that is that is recognized by the state and perhaps by the country right mm-hmm. what 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 process goes into that and then along with that i'm wondering um what does that do what does the establishment of a site as historic do um to to the to 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 the, the what role does that play in our um <clears throat> in our practice of remembering, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly mm-hmm. with respect to um, uh, North Carolina, right? Particular right. Uh, counties, particular cities, the state um, mm-hmm. at large, but um, thoughts about that, brother. I'm, I'm very curious to get your, 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 your perspective it on that. Is. Yeah, and I'm telling you, Marcus, this is gonna be, a, you know, a, a deeper a deeper show that we can, you know, can continue to talk about this. I think we'll be talking about it in some form or fashion over, the course of multiple shows. One of the things I'm deeply proud of, I'll say here, is that North Carolina, North Carolina is has been deeply committed because I've had an opportunity. And the reason why I'm saying this, that the state has been deeply committed to the preservation of certain historic sites. Um, and that work continues. If anybody was following what happened in the state's most recent, recent budget, it was a significant amount of money that was there to actually help you know, fund some of the work that goes on around state historic sites, which was, uh, I'm, I'm deeply, uh, was deeply glad to see because there's work that needs to be done um, to help support the programming there. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel to a recent national meeting of state historic administrators uh, out in Denver, Colorado. Now, I think about 24 states were represented. Um, one of the things that you see that there's no, there, Marcus, there is no no racial or real ethnic diversity in this group. So it, it lets you know who is actually overseeing um, the, pre- the, the work of preserving, you know, historical stories across these individual states. So North Carolina has made a bold move because right now our the, the, the division director for state historic sites is an African-American woman, Mich- Michelle Lanier, who we'll have on the show at some point. Mm-hmm. And one of her big programs is a program of true inclusion and how these these sites can tell multiple stories. And that's because they, there are multiple layers to these to these sites. But to answer your question, what, what really happens is that it. it it starts really with a local desire to preserve a site. 
And if they can begin to kind of galvanize a community around the site and then get the the attention, especially of their elected officials to actually help push that and move it through the state legislature, then the state state can sometimes will step in to help um, to help preserve these sites. So many of these have been movements from from the ground up, which I think is a real story uh, in North Carolina's history. You know, going back, Meredith, you and I have talked about, um, and I think we've talked about it here on the show, but one, one movement that was very important to North Carolina's history, which was the regulator movement, which was a movement of, from people on the ground, not the elites, but necess- not necessarily the elites, but those who would be considered, you know, more of the common folk who were pushing for change. So, in many ways, Marcus, you, when you look at how these sites are um, are be- become state historic sites, it really starts at the at the local level, and people be- begin to push at the top. But we'll come back to this some more. But yeah. before we do that, let me let me just um, just say here that you're listening to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We'll be back in a moment um, as we take a short break. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Marcus and I are glad to be back with you. We have Dr. Meredith Dostra, who is here with us. We're kind of talking about really reflecting on some changes, not only uh, in my kind of career path uh, over the past few months, but, you know, hopefully, Marcus, we'll be talking a, a bit about some of the things that are going on your side as well. But we're talking right now about state historic sites. And Marcus, you had just asked me a question about how these sites become recognized as state historic sites. And I hope I gave a, a satisfactory answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, very helpful. Um, and just before I share my second question, which really is for both of you, um, I you know, this is just, you know, as I learn more about from you, um, Darren, about about your new role and about, um, you know, historic sites across the state and how historic sites become such. Uh, what I'm hearing is so on on one level, there is, you know, sites that have been deemed historic um, are deemed such because those sites are connected to a certain history. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a certain story. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the story of how that site becomes deemed a historic site. Right. Right. So, right. so there are these different layers of, of, of story that, that help to, I think, infuse these various spaces with meaning. But but so moving on to my second question, which is for both of you, uh, because, you know, I, I think I've had a similar experience um, in my various sojourns uh, to the African continent. But I'm curious to hear from both of you. Um, particularly, particularly given, you know, your different um, racial backgrounds, right, to be quite frank, mm-hmm. um, how you experience Somerset Place, because as I understand it, it is one of the largest plantations in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Um, so this is, you know, and and from what I understand, and, and again, I've not visited Somerset Place yet, um, but from what I understand, uh, uh, folks who visit Somerset Place, the story that is spun to them isn't necessarily a story that uh, that that foregrounds the experience of folks who were enslaved there. I mean, it, I, I'm not saying that, that, that it doesn't come up. It seems to come up from what mm-hmm. I hear, but um, I'm also under the impression that 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 
history sort of competes with a different sort of history that is more about the sort of triumph of of of, of North Carolina's industrial history and mm-hmm. so so forth and so on. So I'm just curious to hear from both of you what your experience of this of this major historic site um, was. How did it impact you? Well, Mark, is one thing I'll say, and Meredith, let you jump in here because I think you had visited Somerset. Uh, well, long before I did, as a as a Friday fellow yourself, and you'd had that experience. One of the things I'll say there, brother, is that what has happened over the, you know, I guess, Meredith, would we say maybe 10, 15 years is the work of, um, I think the former site manager was a was the work to really begin to, to I think, foreground the story of the enslaved at um, at Somerset rather than the story of the enslavers and it's it's so you you get you you are immediately smacked in the face i think marcus there with the story of the enslaved and i look forward at one point of having the the current site manager karen hayes as a guest on the show um to actually talk to us about you know the work that they're doing there i think what i've been surprised um at a place like somerset and then there's another place in durham county uh called stagville uh, which was also the site of plantation, is how, and especially at Stagville, how the African-American community is actively engaged with the site. Um, it's th- That, to me, was something that I had not expected to see, um, but the site holds resonance for the African-Americans who are descendants of the of the people who were enslaved at Stagville. And in some ways, that was the same case at Somerset, it's not as, as I think, um, as active as it once was, but that has been a piece of the story that has been told at Somerset. But let me turn over to Meredith here, Meredith, you know, to give your, your impression and your input. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I mean, reflecting on um, a plantation site um, and visiting one, it's heavy. You know, I think that I first encountered this particular site as a Friday fellow in the context of a seminar weekend. And so I went in a group uh, to to the plantation and moved through the traditional um, tour, you know, and had a tour experience with, you know, 20 plus people that I knew fairly well. We went, I believe it was on seminar four, perhaps of our four out of six seminar experiences. And that matters, right? What is the relationship that I had in that moment to other people um, that I was experiencing that site with and through? And what kind of relationship did I have to that site by birthright, by 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 being a North American citizen, by someone who lives in the state of North Carolina, by someone who is white? What are all the ways in which my different identities impacted the relationships I could have had in that moment to the site and those I was experiencing the site with? All of which is to say it was a complicated day for a number of reasons. Um, the site itself is incredibly powerful. Um, I think this the, the land itself, the land on which the site sits, is also powerful. There are competing narratives, I think, at um, plantation sites where you have to imagine to the the original inhabitants of the land, the indigenous communities, the native populations whose stories are also speaking. Um, so I think the landscape itself was really powerful. Um, the drive up to the plantation and the Eastern North Carolina 
landscape reminds me of some of the vistas driving through and across the Mississippi Delta to my family's um, farmlands in Arkansas. So there are ways in which the journey to the site itself um, Mm -hmm. felt familiar, even though it was different. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I knew, and yet it was something that I knew deeply. Mm -hmm. And I believe deeply in kind of unpacking and unraveling what does it mean to feel in certain places and to to let the space do the work but do, do, do its own work on me. Um, and, and we were, again, I think this is, goes back to the question that I raised at the outset of our conversation. What kind of preparation do places require? What does it mean to journey, journey to a place? How do I prepare to engage with integrity, the complexity of, of a site of enslavement mm-hmm. as as a North Carolinian, as a North American, as a white woman, what are the ways in which my preparations um, need to show up? Uh, and how do I then also set the stage for others to, to do that in their own ways? Um, but I did go back, uh, Darren and I met very, very briefly at um, Somerset to, as, we can, as we think about what kind of invitation we will extend to the current class to also make their way to this particular site. And mm-hmm. that's a conversation that Darren and I are still having. What does it mean um, to, to center this, this site among so many others in the North Carolina um, sort of landscape? Mm-hmm. What kind of role do we want to ascribe this particular location and the, the history of enslavement? And how does that follow on the work that we did um, intentionally to surface and amplify the voice and legacy of Dr. Charlotte Hawkins Brown? So I think about these things in context and in, in the context of relationship. Um, and so I guess as a way of winding down my reflections, I'm still in deep thought about what my interactions with Somerset continue to be because uh, my lived experience is that sites like Somerset, and I, I, I say this as someone who was raised in Germany, where I spent a lot of my formative years going to concentration camps because that is in some ways and a parallel um, a parallel move in the German education system is to go to a Uh, concentration camp as a field trip of sorts. How do we go back for our own history? Um, And I think a lot about the ways that those two sites land very differently in my body. They they speak to different parts of my training. They speak to different parts Mm -hmm. of my birthright. And I don't have easy answers, but I sit with just quiet tenderness um, around what these sites are still speaking and what Mm -hmm. What, how they might be speaking um, for my years and for others as well. Yeah, and Meredith, to your point about the ways in which, um, I like how you said it, the ways in which uh, sites um, do a kind of work on you. I'm reminded of, and I know I mentioned this on the show previously, uh, but I think it's, it's appropriate to, to raise it here again. Um, I can't help in thinking about Somerset, um, even though I haven't visited it yet, um, but be reminded of my first experience visiting the um, slave castle at Elmina. Mm -hmm. Um, in southern Ghana. This is all about maybe 14 or 15 years ago. Um, And, you know, it's it's one thing to read about Atlantic slavery um, in a textbook or to hear a lecture about it or to write about it, but it's an entirely different thing as an African-descended person to actually, you know, travel to southern Ghana, walk through, you know, um, the the dungeons and so forth. And just to share a quick, a quick story, um, this is probably what, 2005, 2006. So I, I traveled to, to the castle with the group. Um, this is my first time 
my first time, of course. And, um, you know, the, the, so, you know, the, this castle, you know, built by Europeans has, has been, you know, kind of to my earlier point, Darren, about, <laughs> about a historic site, what it means for a site to be deemed historic at the, at the state and national level, right? So the Elmina Castle, there are others, like, for example, the Cape Coast Slave Castle, these are both major historic sites in Southern Ghana. And so um, it's essentially, it is now essentially a tourist attraction. I mean, there's even, there's a gift shop, right? There's a gift shop um, at the Elmina Slave Castle. You can purchase food um, and drink at the Elmina Slave Castle. So anyway, um, we arrived there. There's a tour guide who's very, who has a lot of knowledge about the, the castle's history and um, its role as a, as a major slave port. Um, so, you know, we, we begin our sort of um, procession through, I believe it was the female slave dungeons. Um, and, you know, the guys talking about how, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, the, the very ground over which we were walking uh, was made up of calcified human remains, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the women who were, who, were, who were held captive there prior to being transported across the Atlantic Ocean were just made to sort of steep in their own waste. And so over the years, what happened was all of that waste calcified and raised the floor level. And so we're literally walking over uh, um, um, these remains as the tour guide is laying out this history uh, for us. And to your point, Meredith, about how sites can work on you. I mean, what's happening um, as we're getting this history is that uh, folks in my group are beginning to break down physically and emotionally. I mean, their people are collapsing. I mean, uh, one one person vomited. I mean, um, it, it was really a, a a very acute traumatic moment, right? Um, that that as a group we were experiencing. Uh, but to your other point, Meredith, about um, preparing to enter spaces with integrity. Um, what's happening, what was mm -hmm. happening behind us uh, was that there was a group of, of European women, uh, maybe three or four of them, who were probably about maybe 20 feet behind us or so. They could clearly see what was happening um, in our group. But what they're doing is basically, you know, they're sipping on a drink, you know, they're kind of chuckling. This is clearly a kind of a kind of um, tourist um, um, novelty uh, for them. And so I, you know, I, and I just remember being kind of broken and also rebuilt by that experience. Um, and I think it's, I think it's the, it's the, it, it was both the history and the energy that resides in that space that kind of worked on me um, in that way. And, and I suspect that, that maybe for African-Americans, um, again, I never visited Somerset, but I suspect that for African-Americans, that site um, in Creswell uh, may, may, may be um, similarly impactful. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to visit it and see, but yeah, just it to is. share that. Marcus, I, I, think that, I think that you're right. There are a couple of things that come to mind in, uh, in the, the things that have kind of materialized in, in this portion of our conversation here um, about, Meredith, if you use the word, which has become one of my favorite words, is complexity. You know, the, the human experience is rather complex. And I don't know that we, especially in American society, are used to embracing complexity. Right. And and knowing that it's OK, we try to simplify things. And this is, you know, it's not it can't be simplified. And I think that that's a good thing. I think it that's a part. The complexity is a part and it makes life interesting. Right. <laughs> because it keeps yeah. you engaged. 
there, there are four issues, Meredith, that you have been trying to to really guide us, um, and I'm including us in this because we've been having this ongoing conversation about the Friday Fellowship and how you have kind of really framed this particular experience for this particular class. But I think it ref- it, it refers it it relates to this discussion about state historic sites and how spaces actually work on you. So those four themes have been rest, right? reflection. And you and I have had to take the time to kind of reflect upon, boy, man, what is the meaning of these spaces? We're still in a reflection mode about uh, our time at Somerset. And I just have to, for some levity here, I have to take another dig at Meredith about, you know, having us in up in uh, Marshall at, at a jail. And I think I've talked about how, <laughs> which has been a repurposed building, which is now, I think, a boutique hotel. But that building really had an impact on me. But rest, reflection, reckoning. And these sites, like a site like Somerset, Marcus, you're bringing that up, are Elmina Castle, it forces you to reckon with something, right? And what does that reckoning mean? And that last piece, Meredith, that you have been trying to push us and guide us to, and the Friday Fellows as well, is relationship, right? So can you could offer some thoughts, you know, in the context of this particular con- uh, conversation around those four themes, which you have been surfacing in this most recent class of Friday Fellows? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Darren. One of the questions we keep raising in community, in this Friday Fellowship community with our current class, is sort of what is the order of these things? You know, rest, reflection, reckoning, relationship. Does one have to come before the other? And I think back on the original framing document that really offers the philosophical and intellectual underpinning of the class that I was so fortunate and privileged to collaborate on with another friend and colleague of ours, Dr. Georgette Legister. And the title of this year, of this cohort's experience is Person, Place, and Thing. And then there's a subtitle. Um, but I'm, I'm mindful as I think about rest, reflection, relationship, and reckoning that we have relationships to people, to places, to things. Mm. We rest with them and in them and through them. Uh, with so there's we we have to reckon with them, uh, with people, places, and things. Um, and I'm I'm mindful that it's never again going back to this word complexity. None of this is simple, and none of it is ever done. I so appreciate the mm. also the invitation to think about what are you learning from Somerset. The answer is many things, and I don't know what they all are yet, you know, because reflection takes time and, and, and it's an urgent season that we're living in where, where we're often called upon to know immediately and, and some things we do know um, with mm-hmm. urgency and, uh, and, and others unfold mm-hmm. over time. And so this intersection of rest, reflection, uh, relationship and reckoning, it's powerful in that it does hold the complexity that not everyone is going to come to a person or a place or a thing and see the same thing, experience the same thing, or, or walk away with the same teaching or, or lesson. And that's part of the complexity. I feel like, uh, Marcus, as you were talking about the two different um, groups moving through 
that that site on the African continent. In some ways, the Friday Fellowship, part of our work is to kind of put those two groups together. What would your experience have been like if those European women had been in your group? How would that have shaped, right? I'm like curious, Mm -hmm. what would the impact have been on both your experience and the depth of, of your own grappling and reckoning with that space and theirs? And in some ways, it's an inelegant comparison, but it is part of how the Friday Fellowship operates. How can we move people um, into shared experience, knowing that the differences they bring to the table are sometimes insurmountable. And sometimes those differences continue to do harm, right? Like, would it have been harmful to have had to navigate that space with the women who were kind of having their tourist moment? And those are the questions that um, I reflect on. And I think those are the questions that require relationship. Darren, you're so funny to keep, Darren will never let me <laughs> let go of the fact that I was like, let's go to jail together, Right. And okay, let's be clear. I did, in fact, do that. But it takes relationship to so, okay, you know, it is true that Darren and I, we sit on different sides of the color line um, for those who are listening, um, you know, and we we talk about that. We think about that. I'm, I'm privileged to journey with several folks who are differently complected than I am. And that is a privilege. And it is a, it is a work of relationship. Um, but I could not ha- and would not have asked any, just anybody off the street to say, hey, would you like to go sit in a jail with me for a day? And let's think about what it means to be in relationship all also with the thing that is incarceration in this country that is also a process that's a product, right? That's not an invitation I can extend to just anyone. In fact, like it would do harm to do so. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way in which it's, it is both funny, um, but it also is a, it, it serves a point. I mean, I, ca- I cannot do the work of fellowship, which to me is a practice outside of the bounds of a relationship that knows its own parameters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 well, and, and, and I'll, I'll just say quickly, brother, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not accompanying you to anybody's jail. So, okay. Well, you're listening to the waters and Holly show on Blue Ridge public radio. We'll be back uh, after this short break. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the Waters and Harvest Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Marcus and I, as you, as those of you who have been with us for the whole show, are hearing us, you know, in deep reflection about what I would think are some heavy topics. But because of the relationship that we all have with each other, we're joined by Dr. Meredith Doster. You're hearing some levity in the conversation as well. And Meredith, you're right. It takes relationship to be able to not only have these deep conversations, but to find some levity in it, I believe. So I think that that's fundamentally important. You know, Marcus, I, as we come to this part of the show, you know, I, I'm always amazed at how quickly the shows go. Um, these conversations, I think, are so free-flowing. You and I, when we get together, and we just talk. And even in the context of the show, 
it kind of re-energizes me really of the importance of what the human experience is, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I have been asking these questions in our last uh, series of shows about who are we and who do we hope, wish, or want to be. I think that those are still important questions. I mean, you made a really deep point that these are not questions that we've been asking because we're necessarily searching for an answer. I think these these are questions that will continue to engage, I think, over a long period of time. And for me, the questions become fundamentally important as I think of the fact that we are currently making our way towards the 250th anniversary of the birth of this nation, um, the American Revolution and the ideals that shaped it. And so what can the next five-year period be as we work towards uh, 2026? Can it be about renewing our knowledge and maybe faith and interest in those those founding ideals? I don't know. But but another question I think that is important that that, uh, Meredith and Marcus that is emerging for me in this conversation is what does it mean to be human? Right. What what does it mean? I have been in a back and forth with another dear friend who is more on the science side. And he has actually said to me on a couple of equations, oh, the question, maybe it should be, you know, what should humans be doing? And I'm thinking to myself, no, I still think that the question that the fundamental question of what it, for me, Marcus, is what does it mean to be human? So, I, you know, let me turn it over to you because I can keep going on here um, if, if you don't yeah. stop me. Yeah, no, <clears throat> no I, I love that question. What does it mean to be human? Although I must I must say that I'm not sure that a historian is equipped to answer that question. That, that, that might be a question for a philosopher or a theologian. I don't know. So you may be a tad bit out of your depth, brother. But I like, I, I applaud the courage. I applaud the courage. You know, see, Meredith, he, he just found a way to take a dig at me. You know, he, he says that we here no. historians are arrogant. So he's just not me off, trying to knock me off my best. No, no, no. So, but, but I, you know, I, it, it seems to me, it seems to me that, um, and I'm not saying that the United States is, is, is totally alone in this. I mean, I, I might also include a country like France and what I'm going to say, but but it seems that the United States has kind of going back to the early, your earlier points, both of you, about complexity. It seems to me that the United States, one of the distinguishing characteristics of this country's socio-political history has to do with um, just an unwillingness, just a stubborn, resilient unwillingness to deal with complexity. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. To deal with the complexity of the country's history, to deal with the complexity of the country's demography, to deal with the complexity of the of the of the of the constellation of stories that constitute, you know, the American experience. There's a stubborn unwillingness to do that. Right. And so I think I think what is important about um, the questions that we have raised on the show. Right. Um, Who are we? Uh, who do we wish to be? And now to add in your question, Darren, um, what does it mean to be human? Which I think is a question that I think is pr- actually prior to <laughs> the first question of, you know, who do we wish to be? You know, first of all, what does it mean to be human? But right. I think that I think that part of what's important about all three of these questions is that is that they are invitations to embrace and wrestle with complexity. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my hope is that, you know, these questions will be 
uh, perhaps more effective um, than other types of invitations and really compelling people to deal with the complexity of, of American life, um, mm -hmm. to deal with the complexity of, 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 of what we might call the human condition. Um, I, I think there are, there are other questions that are kind of baked, already baked into the cake of the question that you're asking, Darren, right? What mm -hmm. does it mean to be human? Um, I, I'm not prepared yet to, to throw those out there because I, I think that that will take us in a, in a, a just a purely philosophical direction. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think this is, you know, this is important. And um, I, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll, I'll give the, the baton to Meredith. You know, it, it seems to me that, the, that, that the, the issue with complexity, and I think you made this point, Meredith, earlier when you, when you talked about um, I forget how you put it, but you but but you made the point, you know, that that, that complexity is a it, you know it, that that it, it it's the kind of process um, that wrestling with it is a process that never really ends, right? Um, the issue with complexity is that um, that there is no there is no real t loss, there is no real conclusion, there is no real resolution, there is no ribbon that we can take and tie it up and say, oh, you know, okay, we've dealt with complexity. Here it is. You know, this is the neat, tidy result. No, that in fact, you know, by definition, complexity is the opposite of that. Yeah. It is the diametric opposite of that. Um, it is by definition annoying. Right. It is it is by <laughs> definition. Right. It is by definition a kind of thorn in the side. Mm. And so the question becomes, you know, how do you really incentivize people to invest themselves in being annoyed? Right, in a sense, on a on a regular on a regular basis, and I think that I think that part of what this show is 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 has been is engineered to do um, involves making a case to people for why they should want to deal with complexity, mm. right? Because let's face it, I mean, Darren, as we pointed out on the show many times before, in in the United States, you know, um, you know, we 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 find ourselves in a social environment that has no patience for anything, right? Unless it is about making money, unless it is about, you know, instant gratification, so on and so forth. Um, and then here we come along talking about complexity. In this sort of forest of instant gratification, you know, um, uh, capital, you know, unfettered capitalistic desire, you know, how, you know, how dare we, <laughs> right? right. Um, so anyway, just some thoughts as I shift over to Meredith now. Yeah, Meredith, and before you jump in, I mean, there's some deep, Marcus, you're right, there's some deep questions that Meredith and I have been engaging as well, and I think that as the Friday flows get ready to convene again very soon, and I think in about four weeks, mm -hmm. I think they're going to be, one of those questions is going to surface, and here Meredith can bring it in, she wants to, about turning inward and reflecting in internally, but the issues that Meredith has raised around rest, reflection, reckoning, and relationship to me as a part of the human experience, and if I want to try to get to an answer on what it means to be human, Meredith, in many ways, you're helping me to frame that around these four ideas that you're raising. Uh, many people who have heard me talk before, Marcus, you know, you and I've talked about this, have heard me kind of quote, kind of paraphrase Edmund Burke, the uh, what is the 17th century, you know, uh, political uh, philosopher, 18th century um, in, in England, who many people quote on both uh, the political left and the political right. 
But um, I have paraphrased him as saying the world belongs to the living, the dead and those yet to come. I mean, we could participate in this great historical continuity. But his actual quote, which I think is worth reading here, and then Meredith will turn it over to you for a few minutes here, is that Burke, he, he actually said society is a partnership in all science, a partnership. It's an ongoing process, which can be complex in and of itself. He went on to say that a partnership in all art, a partnership in every virtue, in every virtue and in all perfection, as the ends of such a partnership cannot be obtained in many generations. It becomes a partnership not only between those who are living, but between those who are dead and those who will who are to be born. So this is an ongoing process that we're involved in. And I think sometimes we miss that. But Meredith, you know, we've got a few more minutes here, but let me just hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, I love the idea of, you know, complexity and sort of the annoying prospect of never being done. It is true that um, it's a challenge to to run what is ultimately or to to, to journey with others through a human relations experiment. Uh, the Friday Fellowship is a two-year experiment in human relations, and I use as much alliteration as I can to keep signaling that we are never going to be done. It's interesting to come to the end of a two-year journey, really, to only be able to say and the work goes on. You know, there is not a checklist. There is not a PowerPoint. There is not a certificate. It is simply another set of invitations uh, to keep deepening with discernment in, in ways that um, can be wildly frustrating because I do think that one part of being human is, um, is to keep teasing out the ways in which we are related to places and things mm -hmm. and to one another in unique ways. Um, a question I would add to the mix of those your workshopping and thinking about um, for this next season of the show is uh, something we've talked about as well in the fellowship community is how will we be with one another? How will we be? Um, if we're going to be with one another, how will we choose to show up? What kind of relationships uh, will we build? Um, and again, I like the emphasis there on being, not necessarily doing, and, and hearing again uh, that the telos isn't fixed, right? We don't have an end game in mind other than um, the great unlearning of what it means to honor um, the complexity of open-ended time and space. I think so much of this work is an unlearning of uh, sedimented ways that we authorize ourselves and one another. I think back to the top of the conversation around how do we, how and why do we authorize some places and their mm -hmm. memories and their stories over other? That's not unrelated from the work we're trying to tackle in mm -hmm. in a fellowship community as well. How do we authorize one another, and what are the ways in which we we can hold one another sacred, and can we notice uh, when we trample on one another? Yeah, Meredith. Yeah, Meredith. I think, you know, this question around, you know, how will we be with one another, brother? That's, you know, that's a deeply that's a good question. It is. And, and <laughs> it makes me wonder, you know, Meredith, and this is a conversation that we'll come back to, I'm sure, of what role, because it, let me say this first. Let me preface it, preface it this way, Marcus. One of the things I've deeply appreciated about the relationship with both you and Meredith is that, you know, Meredith, we're readers. And so you're always introducing me to new texts that I might not consider otherwise, if not for our relationship with each other. But Meredith has had me reading some very channel challenging books. And one is by an author that we hope to get on to the, on the show at some point. Um, 
Lewis Hyde and his primer on forgetting. Mm. But it makes me wonder, Meredith, as we think about how will we be with each other, what role does healing and then what role does forgiveness play? In, in that, in, in how we respond to that question. And this whole issue, Marcus, you know, you being someone who works on, you know, looking at uh, indigenous religious traditions among Africans on the African continent, as we think about this whole idea of forgiveness, it really gets us in, you know, the philosophical space and it gets us, it does. you know, um, thinking about uh, theology and, 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 and its yeah. meaning. Yeah, yeah, and just to throw another uh, question out there to the mix, um, that, which is, which just occurred to me, and um, you know, I, I have to apologize for for making things even more philosophical, but but I think this question is actually anterior to Darren to Darren's question about what does it mean to be human, and this question, and you know, this is not a question that we that we need to unpack on the show maybe we do maybe we don't but Mm -hmm. it's the question that hits me pretty hard and that question is what does it mean to investigate the human condition in the first place oh wow wow right right what what does it mean you know what do we purport to be doing Mm -hmm. right when we when we call ourselves embarking upon that project and i think that's important to keep in mind as we um lay these this, this sort of this sort of new set of questions out for the show well, we've got a whole battery of questions that we will be taking up, everyone, as we kind of continue to move forward together, continue to tell you stories from across the state. And Meredith, we're so glad that you were able to join us today to talk about, you know, the work of Friday Fellowship and the time that you and I have been spending together traveling across the state. We know you'll be back with us again. But as we close out this show, Marcus and I would like to remind you that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to, your, to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter and write us at whshow at bpr.org. And Marcus and I and Meredith as well, we'll look forward to being in conversation with you again soon. Take care.